The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And I'm Max George. Join us. Groovy. <laughs> well, if you can't tell from our uh, introduction this time around, uh, we're going to talk about the Evil Dead today, as well as the Necronomicon. And if you could tell that we were talking about this topic just from that intro, you get 50 spooky points. Or, you know, cheesy points, because I mean, half the series is really quite silly. It, it, it's groovy is what it is nathaniel it's groovy well <laughs> why not both all right we're going to talk about one of the craziest movies that i have ever seen this movie still scares me so bad the the remake you're talking well yeah we'll get into the older versions <laughs> well so so i guess let's start at the very beginning just because it makes sense to start there um and then i guess move move on forward since technically the the remake is also kind of a sequel which we will get into in more depth before we do that i just wanted to thank everybody for listening um we've had a huge huge listener kind of population come out of nowhere i'm shocked i i know you're shocked this is only our third episode and we've had just such a great turnout of listeners yes absolutely and and i love that it you know some of these people that have been coming up um, are, you know, people that we don't know in real life. And so that's such a, a wonderful, exciting experience to see uh, how this podcast is something that uh, we're able to use to connect with people that we didn't know otherwise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I've had people, friends and family come up to me, you know, suggesting different horror movies that we should review. I've started writing them all down just so that we can have kind of a huge list so again just a shout out to our listeners if you think we should cover a specific movie or you know a supernatural story or whatever you have heard definitely let us know we would love to get you guys involved more in the podcast and hear your spooky and supernatural stories we would love that just absolutely love it definitely agree there um and you know i'm going to extend that even to books and video games um, you know, it's definitely, you know, topics that we also want to cover Oh, TV shows as well. Um, just, I mean, really anything horror that you that interests you. Um, I, I want to know about it. I want to, uh, you know, get involved and, you know, I, I love that, that this could be, you know, a very back and forth kind of experience. You know, yes, you're just sitting there listening to us, but, you know, I love that, you know, that we have the opportunity in this modern age to interact over Twitter or interact over Facebook or, you know, really anything, um, you know, shoot us an email and, and we're happy to, you know, find out more and, and have this be as much of a back and forth as, as it possibly can be. Absolutely. So I think we're ready to dive into this terrible movie. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. And by and, terrible, I mean fantastic. 
Yes, terrible in the uh, traditional sense of yeah, the word. Exactly, exactly. So what do you think we should talk about first? The original, Evil Dead 2, or the remake slash remaster slash sequel? Uh, let's, let's go into the very original. Um, it's something that I'm relatively familiar with, um, one, from watching the movie, and then also um, I've read Bruce Campbell's uh, book, um, If Chins Could Kill. Uh, which he talked about the the filmmaking process quite a bit uh, for that film as well. So I know some fun facts from that too. Awesome. Yeah, let's start there. Start at the beginning. Might as well. Yeah. Um, so I guess for starters, I just want to say that the original Evil Dead is surprisingly scary considering, you know, it's extremely low budget and, you know, definitely screams extremely low budget. But regardless of that, like there's some really good genuine scares in that movie. I agree. So I started out seeing the remaster, uh, and so I just watched the original a few weeks ago, and I was very shocked at how well it holds up as a movie. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's very creepy. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily the most original movie in terms of plot by any means, but I like that it, it doesn't do a lot of the things that a lot of um, other similar films do um you know usually if you think of something like a, a possession movie or a you know haunted house you know kind of cabin in the woods kind of story it it has a lot of those same kind of trappings but then it does some kind of unique stuff with that um you know i like that you know the the demons um you know that that turn these uh, characters into deadites are such strong, you know, like aggressive, scary demons. Um, so I guess maybe maybe before we go too far into it, should, should we just kind of do a, a basic plot recap? Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned deadites, and I'm sure not everybody knows what that term specifically means. So maybe let's talk about that first, or let's 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 review the plot. I think would be better. Deadites is going to come up through the plot. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, so I guess from the so the the very basic story is that um, a group of you know uh, college students, um, Ash, uh, Linda, Cheryl, Scotty, and Shelley, um, they all are on spring break. They go out to some uh, you know this isolated cabinet in, out in the middle of you know nowhere in Tennessee just to, you know, have a, have a good time, you know, hang out, you know, drink, maybe get up to some, you know, promiscuous activities, who knows, just, you know, have, have a good time uh, over their spring break, and while they're there, you know, they, they barely make it into the cabin, and, like, the, the bridge starts collapsing, so they're kind of trapped in this, you know, area, and, and there starts being, you know, some, some creepy things that start happening just around the property at, or from the beginning. Um, you know, I just remember, you know, one of the first, you know, creepy shots is really they walk up to the, the cabin and there's just the porch swing swinging and it stops. Well, and I think kind of the cool thing about the Evil Dead was, mistake me if I'm wrong, but that cabin was an actual abandoned cabin that Sam Raimi just kind of found. Um, and so knowing that, I think, adds a whole nother depth and level to the creepiness of the film. Is This is not a prop. This was actually someone's, you know, home at one point. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, it's really just out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so, you know, when they were making the film, they had to go out in the middle of nowhere every day and, and, you know, do, or to do the filming and to you know, do all of the filmmaking. And it, you know, was kind of a hassle, honestly, from, from what it sounds like from, um, Bruce Campbell's book. Um, and, you know, and it was a very messy, you know, difficult process and, and those actors really went through a lot of, of hell to, to make that movie because it was just so isolated and, you know, there's, I guess, like problems with like bugs, you know, all the time and just, it, it was, it was pretty genuinely just a, a kind of crappy place to, to make a movie, um, which, I mean, I think adds to the authenticity of the film. But definitely would have made it uh, a less than ideal process as an actor. Uh, Absolutely. And especially, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind just about the authenticity of where they were filming was that opening scene where the camera is just kind of panning through this murky, foggy swamp. And that really just kind of set the tone and the mood for the rest of the, the movie because it was authentic. You know, I think that's something that the Evil Dead does really well that a lot of, you know, other demon possession movies doesn't really do well is that sense of this is just average, regular day kind of nature going on here. And yet there's this darker side that we know is coming, but are not quite sure what to prepare for. Yes. And speaking of what, you know, there there was no way to really prepare for. Um, So you know, moving along with the story, you know, this, this group of, uh, you know, college, these, these college kids, they are just, you know, h- hanging out, having a good time. Um, you know, have, they're having dinner and then suddenly this trap door that leads to a cellar just flies open and Ash and Scotty go down and, you know, just to see what's going on. And they find a book, the Naturum de Manto, a Sumerian version of the Egyptian book of the dead and a tape recorder. Or, more commonly known to English viewers as the Necronomicon. Yes. So, definitely something that's going to come up a little bit more when we're discussing the Necronomicon. Um, but yeah, it's it's this kind of weird amalgam of the Necronomicon from H.P. Lovecraft. And also, you know, some other things. This, you know, Egyptian Book of the Dead. Um, and, and different, um, you know, kind of books that that you know you you may have heard of uh you know both historical and and fictional um that you know are are associated with you know demon or dark god worship or or something along those lines and so this is kind of a an interesting amalgam of them and in the in the subsequent films you know they they sometimes refer to it as the necronomicon um typically the necronomicon ex mortis um and so it's it's kind of interesting that, that there isn't that much consistency with what exactly it's called, but the, the point of it is it's an evil, evil book. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of problems with it existing. Um, and so, uh, it, yeah, I guess the next thing that happens is, you know, Scotty hits play on the tape recorder, and it's the voice of this archaeologist who is, um, you know, reading the incantations, um, that are associated with, uh, you know, the, basically the incantations found in in that book of the dead, and it unlocks something bad, something very bad. 
So typically when you, well, not typically, according to um, various churches, there are different stages of demonic possession. Uh, M-I-O-P. So M representing manifestation. Manifestation is a little bit different than what we typically consider manifestation to be. Uh, manifestation in terms of demonic possession is when the entity is invited in and whether that be intentionally or unintentionally, uh, you know, so intentionally is dabbling in black magic, trying to communicate with the dead, you know, whatever your religious background is, um, any sort of satanic kind of process. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then there's also unintentional manifestation, which could be negative thoughts that go astray, such as hatred or unchecked anger, or suicidal thoughts, extreme guilt or sadness, kind of those negative emotions that can permeate more than just physiology. Or if, according to most horror films that I've seen, you know, that deal with demonic possession in some capacity, a lot of times it's, you know, oh, it's just, you know, innocently just you know playing with a ouija board or something like that yeah exactly just, just thinking it's a game and then oh no it unlocks something way way worse right um and so then after the infest or the manifestation begins then the next stage is infestation and so this is when the entity makes itself known to you uh you're you know you feel that you're being watched you hear knocks or scratches whispers you know kind of that poltergeist type of an activity um, generally, this is what people would describe as they feel that they're being haunted. And then after that infestation gains ground, it moves into the oppression. Um, and oppression is really probably the worst part of demonic possession in my mind. This is where the mental aspects are starting to get attacked. People um, have disturbing nightmares, unnatural sexual dreams or desires, hallucinations, you know, fears that may have been dealt with previously are brought up. Weaknesses, guilt and grief are magnified. Basically, the entity is trying to oppress you into weakening your willpower. Yeah, just trying to make you feel like you're the worst person and unworthy to be, you know, saved from, from its influence. Exactly. Exactly. Just like the guy who read the Necronomicon in the movies. He should feel terrible because it's all his fault. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then after the entity kind of wears you out mentally and that willpower starts to wane, that's when the full possession occurs, where the demon enters into the physical aspects and starts taking control. And then you see this kind of split personality conundrum um, that you find in movies like The Exorcist and The Taking of Deborah Logan. And as... A great example is the Evil Dead. Yes, but the kind of different thing about Evil Dead is that basically all of those first steps really take like, you know, like 20 seconds. And then it's just full on possession mode. Um, it it really works different than so many other possession films in that, like, you can go from zero to possessed very, very quickly. As long as one of the the demons, you know, kind of reaches out its its willpower and really just goes for you. You can just be walking down the, you know, walking down the road and suddenly you're possessed. And it it's really interesting too because it's kind of works differently. The demon that you see in the Evil Dead is what they call a Kandarian demon, and 
you know, typically if a demon wants to possess you, it goes through those four stages. You see that in a lot of different literature. However, this one, it goes from manifestation to possession immediately, like you mentioned, but then also it can possess others by the mere touch, which is something you don't really see in horror movies nowadays. Yeah, with the exception of this series, it you just it it it's really unique in that uh, in that way. I, I want to note though that the Kandarian demon you see in kind of the the original kind of movies, and in the new remake they change it from a Kandarian demon to the taker of souls and i can kind of go into that a little bit more when we get there but i just wanted to tease that out there yep yep definitely it seems like the the evil that uh you know the parts of the that franchise that deal with ash it sticks more with the kandarian demon and the deadites uh, which i'll explain in a second uh and then yeah the the remake film evil dead um yeah it has has the taker of souls which seems to be more of the devil itself as opposed to a specific like lesser demon absolutely so anyway long story short these kids are in this abandoned cabin they find the necronomicon they read a passage and then shit hits the fan <laughs> yeah yep um basically uh they just start getting possessed one by one um it starts with getting attacked by trees just while walking out uh, to Cheryl. And then from there, it just goes full-blown. Everyone's possessed or, you know, is fighting off the possessed. And when you say attacked by trees, what you are really saying is the poor girl is raped by nature. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a really rough scene. <laughs> yes, it is. Very much so. Um, so for me, when I, I mean, again, I saw the remake, the 2013 version first. And so going back to the original, I am not a huge fan of B movies. I have a real hard time getting into B movies. And at times I kind of felt like the Evil Dead original had some B movie feelings. And that might just be because the, you know, the graphics are, you know, not as what they are nowadays um it was were... 1981 max i know i know and i mean at the time what they did was incredible was incredible don't get me wrong they only had three hundred fifty thousand dollars to make that movie <laughs> okay okay i'm just saying i was not as scared in the original as i was in the remaster the 2013 version and i think that's why well, yeah, and, and that's fine, and, and I think that's a big part of the reason why they they decided to to revisit the the franchise was because, you know, they, it, with you know being made with a with a big budget and you know really taking it you know full on as scary as possible, was just a, something that I think really worked well with the, uh, for the series, and and I think it really paid off for that. And I know Bruce Campbell, the actor who plays Ash, was kind of hesitant about making, uh, you know, a new movie, the remaster 2013 edition. Uh, but Sam Raimi was actually all for it. He said that this is kind of the perfect movie that a new generation can take and throw their own spin on it. So, again, to just kind of wrap up the, the overall plot, uh, this demon, the Kandarian demon, starts possessing each one of these kids one by one until really it's Ash versus the demon itself. And every time the demon is possessing someone, that person becomes a deadite, quote-unquote. Or someone who's possessed 
by this specific entity itself. Yeah, and so the Deadites are really, um, like, aggressive, but, like, they, they're very mocking um, and very... Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. They're, like, very energetic demons. Um, you know, a lot of times in, in a possession film, you know, you see someone just, like, laying around being miserable and, you know, mean or something. But these are very aggressive, very... Um, Harassing, and, too. Yeah, yeah. And and they're cruel, and and they taunt. Um, you know, they'll occasionally just drop the, you know, the uh, look of of being a deadite. You know, because there's a, a specific uh, aesthetic that goes with that. And um, they'll occasionally drop it and just you know go back to normal and be like, oh no, please don't hurt me. Just whatever they're you know most threatened. Um, right, kind of pull that entity who they're possessing out to try and guilt whoever is trying to kill them into taking a step back and not doing what they need to do which is kill the demon yes and so something i think is also you know very unique about this is you know most possession movies you know we're dealing more with you know okay we have to exercise the demon we have to send it out but with these you can't really do that you just have to kill the person and chop them up and hope that you did a good enough job of getting rid of them and so you know it it goes full-blown just you know chopping up these people with a with an axe or a chainsaw or you know whatever and so you know it 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 just goes full-blown you know crazy and um basically what happens you know with the rest of the story is you know ash is the only survivor there he um throws the the necronomicon into the fire um and you know holds on to a a necklace that he gave his girlfriend which comes uh, back uh, in importance uh, in Evil Dead 2. Um, and basically, you know, the book burns, the deadites start to you know, decompose, and, you know, blood is spraying everywhere. And, you know, once once they're defeated, the you still can hear the voice, you know, saying, join us, which is, you know, something that's repeated again and again by, by these deadites. And... Then, as you know, Ash is stumbling away, and suddenly, the this you know demonic entity just swoops at him, and it's implied that he is possessed at the very end of the film, which leads us to Evil Dead Two. And so, I guess before we jump to Evil Dead Two in terms of plot, it's just really interesting to see, like, you know, they do a lot to, you know, I, I felt like the effects were pretty good considering the budget, especially and, and the time. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I really love, like, I really, really like the original uh, Evil Dead film. It may be my favorite in the series. Um, it's, I don't know, I keep, I, I have a hard time deciding which one's my favorite. I, I like them for different reasons. But as a whole, I feel like, it really just did a good job of being a very scary film in spite of all its limitations. And, and I just really like a lot of the ideas that it presented. And I feel like as a whole, you know, even though it is definitely, you know, flawed in a lot of ways, I really enjoyed it. Also, just kind of a fun note. It's the only NC-17 movie I've ever seen. Ooh. Which I think is true. Probably most people who watch it, because <laughs> yeah, it's I not really they... a common rating. <laughs> I don't think they really realize that until it's too late, though. <laughs> yeah, it's it really doesn't warrant a NC-17 rating by you know, today's standards. Absolutely um, not. Yeah, that, that's usually associated more with pornos than anything these days. True. Um, 
but it's it was just kind of interesting to see like oh hey like that was rated that back then right okay so should we jump to evil dead 2 which is a radical change for the series yeah i think i am not a fan of this one let's get through this (laughs) evil dead 2 i didn't like it the first time i watched it because i expected it to be like the first one and maybe Um, that's my issue you know i watched the original and then like two days later i started in with evil dead 2 um i don't know i don't know i don't know (laughs) so evil dead 2 which is also sometimes called evil dead 2 dead by dawn um is a sequel but it's also kind of a parody um it's it, it goes from being a straight horror film uh you know with the original to being a horror comedy um and it's very silly Let's just get that up front. Um, it definitely but, continues the story and, and deals with a lot of the same ideas and same monsters. Um, and it still has a lot of good scares in it, but it is very funny. And that's debatable on funny or not. But agreed. They took it a complete, complete 180 from the horror and the intense scaring methods that they were doing from the first one, in my opinion. Yes, and so I guess just the, the plot, it, it begins kind of confusingly because they do a, a really quick recap of the first one, but simplified. Yeah, this they threw just, me for a loop. I was I was so confused at what was going on. Yeah, well, I, I remember you were texting me nonstop going, what, what, where did everyone go? Why, why doesn't Ash remember what happened? Right, right. And, you know, so, so the first, like, six minutes of the movie are really just, like, a, a very simplified recap. And instead of having a bunch of deadites, you know, it was just Ash and Linda. They go, um, uh, she gets possessed, Ash kills Linda, and then the movie starts. Yeah. And, and it, you know, well, and, and then, you know, he gets uh, possessed. But then it, like, just jumps over to this, uh, uh, the daughter of, of the archaeologist who, you know, had that tape, um, you know, of the Necronomicon Ex Mortis, um, and uh, and so it you know kind of introduces this new cast of, of this this daughter and uh, co- uh, a research partner um, and then a couple of locals who help them get to the cabin because it, it can't be reached otherwise because the bridge is out. Right. Um, and so they're coming in and Ash is just kind of wandering around at first possessed and then. Um, kind of gets his stuff together um but well i guess the first thing that i guess really happens is that uh his hand is possessed before anything else which is kind of an interesting thing true so it, it begins with his hand attacking him and you know trying to strangle him and cause all sorts of problems and ash in desperation uh cuts it off with a chainsaw and then it, you know, starts giving him the bird and starts crawling around like the thing. And he starts shooting at it with his shotgun and we get a bunch of fun one-liners. Yes. Yeah. Right off the bat, it's a lot more slapsticky and silly. And yeah, it feels almost like a really like gruesome version of, say, Adam's family as opposed to Evil Dead. And I understand kind of the parody and the comedy of it, but I think... I was just a little disappointed that the first one was just so scary, so kind of simple and to the point. There's this book, they summon a demon, the demon goes crazy, you know, and then there's just gore and a massacre. And then they kind of take it into this weird 
comedy, still scary, these weird cheesy one-liners. I don't know. I don't know. Not my I thing. I, I I really like a lot of the little one-liners. Like, oh, don't like get I me said, wrong. I love them, but they were just. It, I don't know. It felt disjointed to me. I I definitely agree that it does feel very disjointed. And and like I said, you know, the first time I watched Evil Dead Two, I hated it. I think um, I I like went back and was looking at my. Uh, like original uh, review on IMDb for it, and I gave it like two stars out of ten. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I hate this movie. This is garbage." And but then I, you know, I recently went back and rewatched it, and I had a great time because I knew going into it that it was going to be a silly slapsticky kind of different sort of experience. And I think what like once I was prepared for that mentally, I had a great time with it, and I I really loved the film, but it definitely. It's it's a it's it's definitely a film that if you go in with the wrong expectations, it seems like it's the stupidest thing in the world. Makes sense, and I can I can get behind that. You know, maybe if I watched it a second time, knowing that it was going to be more of a comedic relief than a scare me to death, it would be different. I think. Yes, and so I guess just you know the the plot really simply. Um, so the the four people show up and see Ash, you know, kind of covered in blood in the cabin, you know, bloody because he cut off his own arm, um, or his, his hand. And they freak out cause you know, they're expecting, uh, Annie is, is her, uh, her name, uh, the, the daughter of the, uh, archeologist, you know, Annie is you know, expecting her parents to be there. And so they freak out cause they think that Ash like murdered them and they throw him in the cellar and they quickly discover, uh, or Ash discovers at least, that um, Annie's mother is still in the cellar. And so, you know, she's a deadite, you know, c- coming after him. He's trying to get away, but can't really do much because his only place to escape, the cellar door, has been chained up. Um, eventually, they they believe him. They, they listen to the tape and um, hear that... And, and the tape is now upstairs as opposed to downstairs in the first film. Um, but they, they realize that uh, th- this archaeologist um, was the one who actually, you know, put his wife in the cellar after she died. And, you know, that, that he unleashed this horrible, you know, force in the woods. And, um, and so they kind of start to realize what's going on and, and, you know, realize that Ash is about to get killed and isn't really the bad guy that they think he is. So they let him out. Um, you know, the same kind of antics happen as in the first one. Um, you know, lots of horrible, you know, possessions and murder and all that fun mayhem. Um, and in the end, it ends up being just Annie and Ash are the survivors. Um, and uh, Annie has a few uh, missing pages of the Necronomicon, which can be used to apparently send this Kandarian demon you know, back into hell or something along those lines. They uh, try to do this ritual. Um, Annie may have died as a result of, of some wounds sustained by it. It's kind of unclear. Um, and then Ash gets sucked into this portal with the demon, um, and it ends up in 1300 at the end, and is approached by all these uh, knights who are saying, oh, like, oh no, it's a, it's a monster, you know, he, he's, he's evil, and then uh, he shoots a deadite, which is flying around um, like a harpy, and uh, 
suddenly they they realize that he's this uh, hero that was promised, and and they're and one of those pages from the Necronomicon showed a, a picture of Ash with a chainsaw, basically, as this you know hero of of old, um, and so now we know why, um, and that leads into the Army of Darkness, um, and I think we've kind of covered what we wanted to talk about with Evil Dead too. It's it is very silly. I really like it now, but I definitely see why. Um, why your opinion isn't as high because I really didn't like it for a long time myself. So if we move on to the movie that still gives me the creeps, we watched it together a few weeks ago. and we're, Well, I, I guess, can I talk Army of Darkness very briefly? If you make it quick. Okay. <laughs> so it basically the, the very gist of it is that Ash uh, is back in 1300. Um, he leads this army against this Army of Darkness, which is just full of deadites. And um, ultimately ends up getting you know pulled back to his time, um, and then starts working at uh, S Mart again. Oh gosh! And um, basically, someone who's there uh, that it is um, like as he's telling someone this story is a deadite and tries to attack him, and he shoots him. The end. And then we get to the crazy, scary movie. Yes. <laughs> the so, 2013 version of The Evil Dead. Yes, so this film is called Evil Dead as opposed to The Evil Dead. And it's True. kind of a reboot. And it's also kind of a sequel, which is kind of an interesting thing for that to happen. Um, right, so again, this one came out in 2013. Um, it's got the same general plot as the original. However, this group of kids are now coming to an old family cabin. And the main character, Mia, is trying to go through a drug cleanse, um, trying to quit cold turkey. And so her brother and his friends are all there with her, trying to help her kind of overcome all of the withdrawal symptoms. Yes. um, Yeah, she's a heroin addict, and they're trying to help her kick that habit because that is not a good one to have yeah i mean not good at all not good at all um but i want to talk about before we even get into the the mia and 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 co um talking about the the really kind of bizarre beginning of the film uh which is really like sets a totally different tone than obviously uh evil dead 2 or army Uh, of darkness did yeah (laughs) um and because it starts with basically this girl getting you know who's running away terrified from these guys in the woods they tie her up and then you know then she wakes up in this cellar and then her father uh lights her on fire and shoots her in the head as a bunch of weird looking people are reading you know from a, a book and saying like we must do it we must defeat the evil and you're like what's going on definitely sets the mood for the rest of this movie because 2013 they got a lot more liberties than they had with the original (laughs) yeah and and it's you know starts out very brutal very terrifying and you're like and very confusing in in a good way i think it it really does a good job of like really just kind of grabbing your attention and saying like this is going to be intense buckle up yeah exactly i think that's what i loved so much about the opening is because it was just so like oh my god what is happening right now what is happening that you're immediately pulled in and you want to know 
what the hell was that first part about? You know? Yeah, and, and it doesn't do necessarily the... It, it never, like, fully explains it. Like, you, you start to piece together what is going on, but it's still really crazy. Right. So, after that opening, then they go in to the cabin. Mia's trying to quit her drugs. There's a lot of awe, or... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, pointers to the old movies. Uh, Mia gets a necklace from her brother. That is kind of a flashback to the original, where Ash gives the necklace to his girlfriend. Oh, and and I guess something that I forgot to bring up with the, my plot summary is that that necklace that he gives to his girlfriend actually helps him become unpossessed uh, in Evil Dead 2. Because there's a while where he's running around and Zedetai attacking them too. Um, and it saves him. And I think that's kind of that that homage to the idea of you know love can overcome evil you have this item that signifies this huge you know positive emotion that it can overpower the demon possession because you'll see that in the remake as well you know after all the blood and gore you know mia holds on to that necklace as kind of a beacon of hope for yeah it's supposed to like help her focus her will or something like that. exactly exactly uh, and so then we start the movie, um, similar to the original, they end up going into the basement where they have all of this crazy black magic stuff hanging up. Yeah, dead like, cats, dead animals, inverted crosses, and both you and I, when we saw this part, was like, this is the part of the movie where if we were in this situation, we would say, okay, let's find another cabin. Yeah, like, sure, <laughs> it's their, their, you know, family's cabin, but clearly, you know, someone's come in here. And, I mean, when they first walk into the cabin, there's, like, a big blood stain on the floor. And they're like, oh, someone broke in. That's weird. Yeah. But then, yeah. like, oh, my gosh. Like, uh, clearly some some witchcraft, weird, weird crap's going on. If, if there's dead cats hanging from the ceiling, you leave. You get out of there. Uh, but anyway, they don't. And my favorite character of them all, Eric, the idiot, finds the Necronomicon brings it upstairs, and it's just like, ooh, this is interesting. Let me flip through it and see if I can read anything. Yes. And so, actually, this time around, they call it the Naturum de Manto. So, True. a third version of basically the same thing, but not quite. I don't know. It's it's really interesting that Evil Dead has this Necronomicon you know, lore throughout it, but each time it's a little bit different. And a big thing to note, too, is the demon that is in the 2013 remake is not the same demon that you see in the original. It's not that Kandarian demon. It's actually based off um, the Islamic idea of the Christian's devil, uh, Shaitan or Shahatin, depending on how you say it. I'm probably screwing up the pronunciation terribly. Um, but this, this demon is much more... Um, sophisticated i guess you could say it's not as erratic not as taunting it it's, taunts quite a bit it does but not compared to the original where it's almost a humorous taunt i don't know to me this demon is much more malicious it knows what it wants and it knows how to get it yes and the I stuff they... that it gets that gets them to do when when there's some possession going on is really really messed up I mean, it's the taker of souls. The whole point of this demon is it needs to collect five different souls, and once it does, it can create the abomination, according to the Necronomicon in this movie. And the abomination, you know, is kind of the living 
physical embodiment of evil, which makes an appearance at the end of the movie after all the blood and the gore. Yes, and so one thing also I, I think is really interesting, you know, as as there as this Eric character is is reading, um, you know, this book and you know ultimately lets it loose on them. Um, I just love that that like written in you know red ink or blood maybe it's unclear all around you know the original text is stuff like um you know don't do this this is a bad idea um and then you know like later on when it's showing you know people being possessed and stuff it says you know like burn the witch and all that kind of stuff and so it's like it's it's very clear that it's you know there's warnings just like it you know in red right next to the text that he's reading so it's like Maybe not the best decision. As much as I think Eric was an idiot, if you look at my library and see all of my demon books that I own, I'd probably be the one being like, ooh, let's read this book out loud so everyone can hear about it. Yeah. That's me. That's basically me. (laughs) That's, yeah. There there might be a a lesson for here, uh, here for you, Max. Eh, whatever. I'll deal with it. So, um, for me, this is one of the scariest movies I think I've ever seen. Um, when I first saw it, I did not know how intense it was going to be. And, you know, I gauge how scary a movie is on the basis that if I get the creeps or have the weird, like, what's following me after I watch the movie, that's a good scary movie. And even, you know, a few weeks ago, we watched this together and we both were like, oh, it's not as bad when we watch it together and it's the second time. But later that night, both commented on, I kind of got a few creeps going on here and there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went over to your place and then, like, when I got in the car, I was like, "Eh, I feel like there's something behind me in the car. (laughs) Yeah, I was laying in bed just like, "Uh, possessed Mia's underneath my bed and she wants me to join her. Yes, it's... uh... And, you know, I don't know what it is about this that was so scary. I mean, it's very gory, but gore is everywhere. You know, in horror movies, you see it all the time. And Demon Possession... I love Demon Possession movies. They're my favorite type of horror movies. Uh, You know, you have The Taking of Deborah Logan. You have... Possession of Michael King, you have The Exorcist, uh, Deliver Us from Evil, The Last Exorcism, all of these awesome, awesome possession movies, and they still don't get me like this movie gets me. I don't know what it is about it. Yeah, I, I really can't pinpoint it, point it either. It's just, I mean, I think I think maybe what it, what it may be is just that when we're dealing with the possession, it goes further than a lot of those movies do like you see them do some really messed up stuff in a lot of other possession movies you know vomiting and you know spider walking and all sorts of weird stuff but this movie mia freaking cuts open her tongue with a razor blade while she's possessed and not only does that but then proceeds to sensually lick the other poor character from like the foot up through her bosom and then like frenches her with this newly cut bloody tongue Ugh! yeah it's it's if we haven't yeah if we haven't you know emphasized this enough yet this movie is gruesome and very intense and And, you know and thinking about it just now i think that depravity 
of the movie of just like there's no sense of holding back from this demon it just does whatever the hell it wants pun intended (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but to make a long movie short the demon starts taking the souls one by one at the end um, well, well, I guess like I think it's really interesting to kind of bring up that, that it actually gets Mia first, right? Um, so yeah, so Mia is the first victim, um, and they once she starts doing really, really messed up stuff, um, like uh, turning on the the uh, shower to just full blast heat, and it's you know like burning her skin and you know, leaving blisters everywhere. You know, once they get her away from that. Um, you know, and then she starts just attacking uh, other people. She attacks uh, another character, Olivia, um, and then you know, ultimately, or and, and they also find uh, a dog that they brought uh, up with them, just dead and dumped underneath the shed. Um, and so, you know, and and that was you know this dog that Mia absolutely adores, and you know, it was, sounds like it was you know their dog growing up. So, and. You know, so all of this depravity happens. Olivia's the first one to kick the bucket. Um, and then Natalie goes. And then Eric. And then it's kind of in this weird David Mia mix where and, David. And, and to clarify, David is Mia's brother. Yes. And in the Necronomicon, it gives three different ways that this demon can be destroyed. And that's death by fire. So the person who's being possessed has to be burned alive buried alive or dismembered and so david gets this idea where he jerry rigs his own aed machine captures mia possessed and kind of buries her alive waits for a little bit with a bag over her head yeah with a bag physiology this is my science degree starting to cringe um buries her alive and then when he thinks she's dead unburies her uses the aed machine and brings her back to life and so that way he killed the demon but saved mia (laughs) that doesn't make sense but the movie is so damn scary you don't really care (laughs) yes um and then from there uh basically what happens is um david gets or you know goes back into the house to you know help get or or because he he goes in uh and is you know trying to basically light the house on fire um you know he's he's pouring gasoline everywhere and then eric who we thought was dead already uh comes up possessed and you know attacks him and then he uh shoots the uh, gasoline can and blows it up and so you know so he and and eric are are then dead the demon claims that they're five souls and thus the abomination is born and it starts raining blood. It's raining blood. Opposite of hallelujah? <laughs> yeah, but opposite of hallelujah. We'll have to see what that works. Uh, um, and then it's this struggle bet- between this kind of zombie demon skeleton creature that resembles Mia versus Mia in this blood rainstorm. Yes, and um, she defeats it with a chainsaw. Of course. Uh, and you know wanders off into the woods and then um and then we also just see you know briefly that the naturum de monto the, the necronomicon is still intact it can't be destroyed by fire um 
And then post credits, we see Ash say Groovy as <laughs> as he does in in uh, several of the Evil Dead movies, um, and then it cuts to black. So, Which has been said that that's Bruce Campbell's kind of stamp of approval. Yes, and and I mean he was one of the producers of the film, so it makes sense that he would. True. Um. So, one thing I guess before we get uh, too much into you know what what worked is in terms of it being scary and all of that is that I really like those some really fun tributes uh, throughout the film. So we already mentioned the, the necklace. Um, both uh, Mia and also uh, another character. Uh, what is her name? It wasn't Olivia. It was the other girl. Do you remember her name? Uh, Natalie? Natalie, there we go. Yes, uh, they both uh, cut off their arms like Ash does. Um and obviously, you know, the use of the chainsaw is a tribute to the original. Um, I mean, there's a lot of nods uh, throughout it. And so I feel like it works really well. And, and those are, are the things that kind of made it a remake. Um, and, and the fact that it you know, kind of follows the formula. But it is also, you know, very much a sequel because it does kind of expand the lore. Shows us, that, you know, that there are other, you know, grimoires um, that are, are being used to, to summon demons and and that these kind of things are still going on. So, Well, and I think that's a nice lead up into kind of my section of this podcast. And if you have known or noticed, uh, we didn't kind of give Nathaniel a little section where he would review some literature because we are tag teaming my occult corner tonight. Yes. Um, and primarily because we have so much fun stuff to talk about the Necronomicon. But I'm going to rein you back one more time and just mention there is also <clears throat> another thing. Ash I'm so excited, Dead. though. I know, I know, but we gotta we gotta do this justice. There's okay. also a TV series, Ash vs. Evil Dead, that came out just, uh, a little bit after the Evil Dead uh, remake film, um, and I like I've seen like maybe half an episode. I don't think I've seen any of it. I haven't. But basically, it's just Ash. Uh, you know, now is a, a middle aged man, uh, is still fighting the Evil Dead. He's still working at the S Mart or whatever it was called, um, and you know it kind of gets. Uh, uh, co or you know some of his co-workers and stuff uh, recruited to, to help defeat the evil uh, if i remember right it started off with like his copy of the necronomicon that was just in his trailer getting stolen um and then a bunch of deadites you know resulting from that but um i don't really know enough to, to say much about it it seems like it, it could be a lot of fun i don't really know that much about it though but it exists uh we acknowledge it maybe eventually we'll you know get into it in more detail but that is a thing that's also part of that franchise. Can we get to the Necronomicon now? Yes. So, so this uh, this is going to be um, studying the strange in Max's occult corner. See yes. what we did there. We combined Ooh, the segments. Spooky, spooky. Um. So, the Necronomicon. Where do you even want to start? This thing is so cool. So cool. There's so many different controversies with it. There's so many different aspects of it. I mean, I think we could have a full episode just about the Necronomicon. Yes, but I think it's really fun to talk about it in the context of, you know, one of the ways that was used in popular culture, you know, the Evil Dead series. Um, And and I I feel like it it does a a really cool lead into it. Um, So I guess let's let's just start with what what it is, Um, you know, from from the very beginning. Uh, so it is a creation of H.P. Lovecraft. It is a fictional grimoire. 
uh, which is, I guess, explain what a grimoire is. Yeah, so typically a grimoire, or grimoire, it's going to be one of those words that I can't say today. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to put an exact uh, definition on it. A lot of times you'll hear it associated with a book about summoning demons or spirits or entities. Um, but at its heart, really, it's just a book of magic spells and invocations. Um, and so a lot of the times you're going to see that with more black magic. But I own a grimoire that is actually white magic. So it's actually, you know, all healing spells or positive beneficial spells. Yeah, so so basically it's it's a magic textbook of some capacity. Yeah, a fancy word for a magic book. Yes, but, you know, as you can tell from the Evil Dead, uh, Necro the Necronomicon is a little bit less pleasant than that. Um, so... <laughs> So H.P. Lovecraft uh, first mentions it in this, uh, or by name in the short story The Hound, but had uh, referenced it uh, in another story previously, um, The Nameless City. Um, and basically what it is, it is a book written by a man uh, referred to as the Mad Arab Abdul Alhazred. So and... I read something a little bit interesting about this name earlier today. That Lovecraft actually, when he was little, would pretend that he was playing the story of Arabian Nights, and his he would tell people that his name while he was playing this game was Al Hazred, which is really interesting because technically Abdul Al Hazred doesn't really make sense as a as a name, right? Um, exactly, because it basically like Abdul, I guess, means like slave of or like you know uh, servant of. And then Alhazred refers to a region, so it's basically like the, the slave of a place, which doesn't really make sense. But regardless of you know his uh, lack of knowledge of how uh, Arabic names worked, uh, that's that's the character that you hear referenced over and over and over again in so many of his short stories and also in his novellas. Um, and so basically, it comes up again and again as being this book that gives information about these um about the the old ones the you know the the uh, ancient gods that are associated with uh hp lovecraft's cthulhu mythos so cthulhu um uh yig yog so uh, yog um and many many others that are all difficult to pronounce um <laughs> and so so we get the most information about the Necronomicon uh, from a story called The History of the Necronomicon, which um, wasn't published until after his death, but was written uh, years before. Um, and basically, he says that it was originally titled Al-Azib, uh, which Lovecraft defined as the nocturnal sound made by insects, supposed to be the howling of demons. Which you can then relate to, obviously, Beelzebub, the Prince of Flies. Yes. Um, and so, basically, what the this story, the history of the Necronomicon says, is that Alhazred was this half-crazed guy who worshipped Yogg-Sothoth and Cthulhu, um, and, you know, spent his life making this, you know, grimoire that is describing, you know, these different gods, and also how to summon them, and, you know, kind of you know, just basically everything associated with them you know this is the source of all knowledge 
um, in universe about these these old gods. Right, and you know the interesting thing to me is the Necronomicon is obviously a creation of Lovecraft. However, there are several editions that have come from it that are different. Um, the Necronomicon that I own is what's known as the Simon Necronomicon. And they call it the Simon Necronomicon because there is an 80-page introduction written to written by someone named Simon. Um, and he claims that he was experimenting with the text and he it knows that it unleashes many dangerous forces and that it has a lot to do with this god Tiamat. Uh, and so he kind of goes into kind of his take with the book. And then there are even more versions of the Necronomicon. It's fascinating. Um, yes. You know, in the culture of horror, especially black magic, kind of Satanism, and the ability to summon demons, people treat this book like it's the Bible. And it's fascinating because it all originated with something that was completely made up. Yes, well, I mean, and and what's really interesting is that, like, in Lovecraft's life, that was something that came up a lot. Um, people would write him and say, like, well, where do I get a copy of it? Like, like where is it? Like, um, you know, he, he kept being, you know, questioned time and time again by so many of his fans, you know, basically saying, like, well, where can I get my hands on this? You know, I want to know more. I want to read it. Um, and so, you know, he time and time again had to say, it's fiction. It doesn't exist. Um, and here I have a, a quote from a letter that he wrote. Um, it says, uh, now about the terrible and forbidden books, I am forced to say that most of them are purely imaginary. There was never any Abdul al Hazaret or Necronomicon for I invented these names myself. Um, and then just uh, jumping ahead a little bit, uh, as for seriously written books on dark occult and supernatural themes and all truth, they don't amount to much. That's why it's more fun to invent mythical works like the Necronomicon and the Book of uh, Ibon, which is another uh, book that he, he references in his texts. Exactly. And so you get things like the Simon Necronomicon, and this book kind of pulls... I mean, I, I want to get my hands on a Lovecraft Necronomicon just so I can compare the two. because the one Well, it doesn't own, exist. Right, and that's the thing. <laughs> the Simon Necronomicon pulls from all sorts of different fields um i mean you get christianity wicca satanism sumerian mythology babylonian mythology assyrian mythology chaldean mythology you have names coming from all different types of uh you know belief systems it talks about Beelzebub. it talks about cthulhu it talks about the watcher all of these different entities that people have taken and you know, treat it like it's an actual grimoire, like the Lesser Key of Solomon. If you want to summon a real demon, you go to the Lesser Key of Solomon, not the Simon Necronomicon. But yeah, but I mean, people are, are yeah, like you said, treat it like it's real. Um, and and I mean, a lot of people consider it the official real Necronomicon. I mean, it it, it takes itself seriously. You know, it's oh, yeah. written as though it is the Necronomicon that H.P. Lovecraft talks about, which is funny because it actually doesn't have a lot of the stuff that. H.P. Lovecraft quotes um, in his in his stories, but it, but yeah, it's it's basically like H.P. Lovecraft and Aleister Crowley are, are kind of the the two uh, things that that the Simon guy uh, really pulled from to make it. Um, 
but yeah, it, it definitely is written as though it is a real text. Well, and it is very intense. I mean, I read a ritual to summon Tiamat. It's actually not to summon Tiamat. It's to, um, oh, enchant, enchant an athame. And athame is just a ceremonial knife that you use in kind of magical rituals like this. Um, and this enchanted knife will summon Tiamat. However, in order to enchant the knife, do you know what I have to do? What? Human sacrifice. Eleven men need to be sacrificed in order to enchant this knife. Like, this book is crazy. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely very crazy. And and so I'm going to just bring up a couple of things that specifically um, it differs, which, because, you know, it, it is frequently purported as being the Necronomicon. And that you know, H.P. Lovecraft, re- you know, really did pull from this thing, and this is just a translation. So I'm just going to bring up a few things that that set it apart, um, because I mean, yeah, it's it's because the the Necronomicon, the, the Simon Necronomicon, you know, uses uh, a frame story, the the testimony of that mad Arab, right? So it's supposed exactly. to be like Al Hazaret's writings. Exactly. Yeah, it's like his journal, so to say. Yeah. So. You know, that's, you know, clearly an attempt to, to make it seem legit. Um, but, yeah, it's really interesting because it's... One, it's not anywhere near as long as the Necronomicon in, in H.P. Lovecraft stuff. Uh, in in the short stories, uh, it has, like, a quote somewhere that um, is supposed to be from, like, page 751. And the Simon Necronomicon is, like, what, 250 pages? Um, let me double check. I've got it right here. It's 218. Yeah, so nowhere near as long. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, there's some stuff that's specifically in H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's works, uh, such as like a rhyming couplet that, that shows up in a couple of stories, um, which is considered the much-discussed uh, couplet. Uh, that is not dead, which can eternal lie... And with strange aeons, even death may die. Which sounds beautiful. That's poetry right there. Oh yeah, I I mean, amid all of his uh, flaws as a person, um, and and some problematic uh, stuff, especially about race, uh, Lovecraft was a genius writer. I love his his works. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of problems with him as a person, um, <laughs> and I will eventually talk about that in detail. But he is a genius. He is super, just very vivid writer. Very beautiful writing at times. So, um, I mean, really, I think the Necronomicon to me is so fascinating because of what it started out as and what it has become. It started out as a work of fiction, and now people swear by this book. I mean, I would not be surprised if I met some black ritualist who performs rituals based on a fictional book and it, to me that just speaks volumes about the supernatural and about horror in general is one person's story becomes so grandiose over time and how you know what really happened turns into a whole nother story and i think that's what one of the aspects of horror that i love so much is that our stories are so so not what they really are sometimes and people like the fiction more than they like the fact yeah i mean you can definitely get lost in these these very elaborate worlds you know especially of lovecraft 
you know, it, there's a reason that he's had such an enormous influence on, on all of horror today. And it's interesting to see how, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, this Simon Necronomicon has come up in murder cases. Right. It, yeah, it was evidence, you know, for, for you know, a couple people who committed murders for uh, satanic human sacrifices. Um, and, yeah, and that was evidence that they had a copy and that they were doing rituals from it. So, that happened. I mean, it's kind of like the reference of the Slender Man. You know, this story that started on Creepypasta creepypasta is a website where people can write in horror fan fiction some of it is garbage and other stuff is actually really good uh and slender man started out just as a story and it built and it built and it built until these two 12 year old girls anissa wire and morgan geyser you know became so enthralled with the story and you know i'm sure there's mental illness and other stuff going on behind the scenes but they killed another girl because they didn't she live um let me look at at least tried to kill another girl but yeah at least i thought that that she had survived anyway the point of the story being is that they did this because they said that slender man this completely fictional being told them to do it yes and And... it, it just blows my mind i think it's fascinating fascinating i agree and and i think that's really a a worth worthwhile talking point because you know a lot of times you know horror gets this very strong stigma attached to it because things like this happen um but i mean really what that boils down to in in that situation is probably mental illness um you know a lot of times people are looking for an outlet to do something bad um and they'll cling on to anything uh that that makes them you know feel comfortable with that and so regardless of you know something being horror or you know you you hear this all the time with video games like oh violent video games make people you know do school shootings or something like that no people are going to do what they're going to do and sure like they might pull from something like a, a horror novel or a you know fictional grimoire or uh, you know, a thing on the internet like Slender Man, and they're going to pull from those things and, you know, maybe use that as, as the model or the inspiration for how they do something bad. Um, but regardless, you know, there, there are other problems um, going on. And so I, I, I like to point out that regardless of, of some bad things that happen because, you know, of specific horror things, um, I want to say that it doesn't happen because of those things. It happens because people want, you know, an outlet for their violence and aggression or, you know, their whatever, you know, whatever it is that they're, that they're dealing with in their life. And so, you know, I, I, I just, I, I'm a big proponent of saying, you know, video games and horror writing and horror, you know, fiction and any, you know, medium do not cause these bad things to happen. Um, you know, that's that's something I, I, I feel very strongly about. I feel like horror is, is an opportunity to explore these ideas of good and evil uh, in, a, in a safe space and, and, you know, and explore ideas of, of death and the like. Um, you know, something I, I heard a lot from, uh, like, writers of 
YA horror fiction, uh, such as... Um, I'm blanking on his name. Give me one second. Well, and I think this is a great segue, too, for something I wanted to mention, primarily about demonic summoning and kind of demon worship, which, you know, a lot of people attribute to Satanism. And I am a proponent that all religions have, you know, a kernel of truth in them and that belief systems are beautiful because they help us cope with stuff that we're struggling with in the world. And if you really get behind the scenes of what true Satanism is about, it has nothing to do with, you know, human sacrifices or baby sacrifices or animal sacrificing even. It's all about empowering oneself. It's more of an atheistic type of a spirituality. And again, referencing back to your point, I think, you know, whether it be Slenderman or the Necronomicon or demon ritual or demon worship, I think because it has kind of this occult aspect to it, this kind of creepy stigmata to it, that people automatically assume that if you research into that or you look into that or you know somebody who believes that or practices that, that you're inviting darkness into your life. And that, to me, is absolutely false. You know, belief systems are varying. Objects have as much significance as we put on them. And I think the Necronomicon is the perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I will say that, you know, I do believe that there is evil. And, I mean, I... I oh, agreed, agreed. And and I have a, a strong belief in, in, you know, kind of the, the traditional uh, uh, Christian, you know, uh, perspective of, of, you know, the devil being a real entity. Um, that's, you know, that's my personal belief. And um, I believe that, you know, that these kinds of things can be, if you're seeking these kind of, you know, if you're seeking out evil, if you want, um, you know, evil in your life, you know, I, I believe that that demonic possession, for example, is something that can really happen. Um, and I mean, there's definitely going to be, you know, arguments on, on either side about, you know, if, if that is real or not. Um, that's something I personally believe does really happen in the world. And so, I mean, there's definitely times where there can be really awful things. Um, and, and also, you know, like you said, you know, there, there is the Church of Satan, like you mentioned, um, which is a atheistic organization. Um, and then there's also Satanists who want to do evil things to celebrate the devil. And so and... it's kind of different. So it's, it's really interesting how, how, yeah, even like one word, Satanism, can mean different things. Right. And again, that's, you're going to find, you know, true evil to me can be found in everything. You know, you don't have to be a, a, a member of the Church of Satan to be evil. You could be a Catholic, you could be a Jew, you could be an atheist, you could be a Mormon. It doesn't matter. Evil is evil, and you're going to find it everywhere you go. Yes. So to wrap up, do you want me to read a part of the book? Yes. Okay. But no summoning demons. Uh, okay. I mean, it's all fictional, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the part I'm just I saying, wanted... if, if this ends with, like, demonic screams, I'm going to be very upset. All right, well, burn yeah. some white sage. I've okay. got mine already going. Cause okay. I'm weird like that. <laughs> but uh, the passage that I wanted to read, it's actually, it's called The Conjuration of the Watcher. And the Simon Necronomicon, Necronomicon is different from other grimoires in that it doesn't give you a set list of 
kind of spells to seal the demon away or to protect yourself or to create power that you control over the demon. And I think that's why it's a little bit scary is it doesn't give you any of that. So you summon the demon and you're at the mercy of the demon. However, which, throughout... Oh, excuse me? Oh, which, to give it credit, does kind of fit in more with Lovecraft's Necronomicon in that, you know, it seemed to be more about bringing these, you know, bringing Cthulhu to come and, you know, send the world into madness and, you know, something exactly. along those lines, as opposed to trying to use Cthulhu to, to do something. Because you can't control Cthulhu. Yeah, I mean, it's Cthulhu. <laughs> um, and so... What the book does mention quite often throughout is that before you summon any demon or perform any of these rituals, that you first summon what's known as the Watcher. And the Watcher is a spirit that will protect you and your circle, circle being uh, kind of the method or the setup of the ritual. Um, and it is required that you summon it before attempting any of the following rituals throughout the book. And so this Watcher is kind of watching you so to say and is supposed to stop you if things get crazy or in some aspects of what i've read trick you into keep going in that type of regard so are we ready okay if anyone's listening and they're going to get freaked out of this part maybe skip ahead a few minutes or burn some white sage i'm a big proponent of white sage <laughs> but only white sage only None of those other colors <laughs> Yeah, get, get those other colors out of here. All right. So this is on page 72 of the Simon Necronomicon. The invocation is to be made during the course of any ceremony when it is necessary to summon the Watcher to preside over the outer precincts of the circle or gate. The sword is to be thrust into the ground as before in the northeast section. But the Agamas Saratu is not necessary lest thou hast not made sacrifice to thine watcher in the space of one moon, in which case it is necessary to sacrifice to it anew. Raise the copper dagger of Inanna, of the calling, and declaim the evocation in a clear voice, be it loud or soft. Yamas Saratu, I conjure thee by fire of Ira, the veils of sunken Valurni. And by the lights of Shamarash, I call thee here, before me, invisible shadow, in beholdable form, to watch and protect the sacred circle, this holy gate. May he of the name unspeakable, the number unknowable, whom no man hath seen at any time, whom no geometer measureth, whom no wizard hath ever called, Call thee here now. Rise up by Anu, I summon thee. Rise up by Enlil, I summon thee. Rise up by Enki, I summon thee. Cease to be the sleeper of Engura. Cease to lie unwalking beneath the mountains of Kur. Rise up from the pits of ancient holocausts. Rise up from the old abyss of Nar Maratu. Come by Anu, come by Enil, come by Enki. In the name of this covenant, come and rise up before me. And that's it. <laughs> Give me goosebumps. <laughs> I, I think this is a clear sign that we didn't learn anything from watching the Evil Dead movies, as you know, they literally like record it and play the tape, and that was enough to like get crap to to you know hit the fan. So Whoa, that was awesome. I've never read something like that out loud. That kind of gave me chills. 
well, maybe you found a new calling as the audiobook narrator <laughs> of various grimoires. <laughs> all right. Anyway, um, that's really all we had for you guys today on this episode. We realize it's kind of gone a little bit longer than we have in the past, so we just wanted to thank you for staying with us this long. Um, clearly, this is stuff that both me and Nathaniel are so passionate about. We love this junk, and we love sharing it with you. And with saying that, we love for you guys to share with us. So again, if you have any crazy stories, any supernatural tales, any movies you want us to review, any short stories, video games, TV shows, Stranger Things is coming out in a couple of days and I'm so excited. So if you want us to review that, let us know. <laughs> Speaking of which, so we're going to be going to FearCon in Salt Lake Um which is the 27th and 28th of this month, uh, the uh, month of October of 2017. Um, and, you know, so I guess if you're going to be there, obviously come and say hi. Uh, we will be wandering around. We'll, we'll be the people shamelessly plugging our podcast everywhere we go. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, so if you just say, hey, have you heard, have you seen some weird podcast guys who are wandering around? <laughs> and then, We'll be those guys, um, but but there's there's definitely one problem with us going in that Stranger Things comes out on the twenty seventh, so I can't watch it all day. What the crap? Well, we might just have to watch a few episodes and do like a little short episode. Maybe we'll live record it. <laughs> I yeah, don't know if we can do that, but we'll try. Or maybe we'll, I don't know, live tweet some reactions or something. But um, but. With that, uh, we are going to do our best to record a couple of uh, ep new episodes because we will have, because um, yeah, we'll be staying in Salt Lake in a in a hotel, um, and so we will have some time in the evening to probably do some recording. So, so hopefully our uh, release schedule will suddenly become a little bit more normal. Um, yeah, it's been a little erratic, but thank you for sticking with it. <laughs> yes, and um, if you can tell from my voice, I've, I've I'm barely keeping it uh, working uh, due to, you know, illness and my uh, current work schedule, which involves a lot of uh, phone work. Um, and so, you know, stuff like that and just, you know, personal stuff in our lives have definitely kind of thrown off our schedule. And also just yeah, we're still finding our footing, but we promise we will eventually have a consistent release schedule. Um, I'm hoping like every two weeks, um, but we will see about what that ends up being. And again, please, 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 please review our podcast. That really helps us get us known and kind of out there in the podcasting community. You can find us on iTunes, on Podomatic, on Stitcher, pretty much any listening application that you use for podcasts. You can also check out our Twitter page, our Facebook page. Um, we're all over the place. Yes. Also, um, if you are big into reddit i think it might be a good way to spread the word so if you're a big redditor and have the the karma that you know gets gets sharing stuff uh you know noticed on on reddit that that could be a cool way to, to share us as well and for me just to wrap up um you mentioned that i should be a voice actor for grimoire reading and actually i have been invited to participate in another horror podcast as a voice actor the podcast is called Monsters Out of the Closet. It's a horror podcast that proudly features spooky and strange stories, songs, and other creative content from diverse LGBTQ 
voices. It is going to be so fun. I'm so excited. I just did my first recording earlier this week, and their first episode comes out on October 31st, Halloween. Uh, so if you like the sultry tones of my voice, you can get more of it on October 31st with this new podcast. Yeah, you hear that that sultry LGBTQ voice in, in more than one uh, place. <laughs> so you can find them on Twitter at pod underscore monsters. And then you can also check out their website. It's monstersoutofthecloset.com. They've been so fun to work with. I'm really excited to see where it goes. And they've been really nice at, about uh, promoting us as well. So we definitely appreciate that uh, that friendship that that's that's uh, existing with these podcasts here. So absolutely. Um, another uh, thank you to to say uh, while while we're getting into that is um, thank you to my wife who recorded our wonderful wonderful disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> you probably heard it in our last episode. And we didn't get to thank her for that, uh, but. Um, we're getting a lot of great reactions from that. I I, I love it personally. I, I think it's one too. of the one of the best things that, that we've come up with, and and she helped us come up with the idea of doing that. Well, and um, especially for an episode like today's. Oh yes, it, it is especially <laughs> true, and will uh, keep us from uh from any fault that results from weird demons that result uh, <laughs> evil dead style. Right. So, anything else? Um. I think that covers it, and if there's you know, something else, we'll think of it and you know uh, have it be in our next episode. So, all right, well, we're off to FearCon this weekend. So yeah, like like we said, come and see us if you're there. Um, we don't have a booth or anything, but we'll be wandering around, we'll be talking, and uh, also, yeah, look forward to our our next episode. And again, share us, please, 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 please. Keep things spooky. Adios, people. And uh, stay, stay groovy. <laughs> stay groovy. <laughs> <laughs>